Hello everyone and welcome to the March 29th edition of the WorkCop Academy Weekly News. I'm Renee Foles, an attorney with the Floyd Scarin Law Firm. Thanks for joining us today. Let's get started with our litigation report. A number of retailers are now facing class action lawsuits for failure to pay for worker COVID screenings each day before they're clocking in for paid work. Last month, Walmart was hit with class allegations in California that it ran afoul of federal and state labor law by failing to pay its workers for time spent on mandatory pre-shift COVID-19 screenings. And this week, Arizona Walmart workers hit the retail giant with a $5 million proposed class action Monday, alleging Walmart required employees to arrive at their shifts early to undergo COVID-19 screenings, but flouted the law by failing to fully compensate them for their time. These workers claim the retail behemoth required them to arrive at their shifts 10 to 15 minutes early to undergo mandatory COVID-19 screenings, but did not compensate them for all of that time. The screenings involved standing in line with co-workers to get temperature readings and answering questions about health conditions, recent travel, and potential exposures to anyone with the virus. After passing the screening, workers were given masks and gloves. Only then were they allowed to clock in for the day. Walmart, however, maintains that it has compensated its hourly retail associates for pre-shift time spent undergoing COVID-19 screenings. Walmart said that all hourly associates have extra COVID screening time systematically added to their daily shifts and paychecks. And Walmart workers are not the only ones seeking compensation for virus screenings. Earlier this month, Apple was found to owe a class of California retail store workers for time they spent working off the clock undergoing bag checks. The amount of damages will be determined in a later jury trial. This March, a New Jersey federal judge ruled that Amazon warehouse workers seeking compensation for time spent in obligatory security screenings could amend their complaint to include a claim for compensation for pre-shift time spent undergoing COVID-19 screenings. The amended complaint alleges the tech giant should pay workers for the time they spent getting their temperatures taken and answering a COVID-19 questionnaire prior to their shifts. And that same month, workers sued a California tennis company seeking compensation for time they spent undergoing mandatory temperature checks as a precaution during the pandemic. The company was The Merchant of Tennis Incorporated, which operates retail tennis stores in the United States. It has allegedly been underpaying workers at its facility in San Bernardino, California, and wages to the workers who undergo temperature checks while they were off the clock. And back last June, Converse reached a $1.87 million settlement to resolve claims that it failed to pay workers for time they spent clearing post-shift security checks. And now our crime report. 23-year-old Angel Macy's, who lives in San Jacinto, was arraigned for felony insurance fraud after allegedly misrepresenting symptoms following a work-related injury. Back in 2018, while working for a Temecula landscaping company, he was laying artificial turf at a private residence when a piece of turf slipped and struck his knee. 
Macy's filed a work comp claim and immediately began receiving benefits. Then, by April 2020, his employer's insurance company suspected fraud. The following investigation found that Macy's misrepresented the seriousness of his knee injury and his physical limitations in order to avoid returning to work, and instead he wanted to collect more than $42,000 in workers' compensation benefits. Surveillance showed Macy's conducting activities that contradicted the physical limitations he described to his doctor and employer. On multiple occasions, he was seen not using a cane or crutches, even though he claimed he had to use them 100% of the time because of his industrial injury. According to a report in the Associated Press, Oregon officials continue to refuse to publicly disclose how much money the state has lost to unemployment insurance fraud during the pandemic. This was despite the fact that neighboring states, Washington and California, have reported huge sums of money wrongly paid after their systems were targeted by sophisticated fraudsters. The Oregon Employment Department says it is not comfortable disclosing the information because it could provide criminals an opening to exploit their systems further. Nationwide, fraud has overwhelmed state unemployment agencies and antiquated benefit systems that are easy targets for persistent criminals. California has been the biggest target, having distributed an estimated $11 billion in fraudulent payments and an additional $19 billion in suspected accounts. Other estimates across the states range from several hundred thousand dollars in smaller states such as Alaska and Wyoming to $6.5 million in Colorado, and to hundreds of millions of dollars in more populous states such as Massachusetts and Ohio. Washington state was among the first hit with fraudulent unemployment claims believed to be tied to a West African scam ring using identity stolen in prior data breaches such as the massive 2017 Equifax breach. More than 122,000 fraudulent claims made in the state siphoned $600 million. As of January, Washington was able to recover $357 million. While officials from the Oregon Employment Department say the state is not facing the same scale of fraudulent claims as seen in Washington or in California in terms of dollar amounts or percentages, still they refuse to disclose how much the state has lost details about ongoing fraud prevention, tactics, investigations, or the scope of potentially fraudulent activity. Its governor, Kate Brown, agrees with the decision not to release the information, saying that the goal is to preserve the integrity of the unemployment insurance system and trust fund. A federal grand jury handed down a 33-page indictment charging 36-year-old Zachary Schultz Apte and 46-year-old Jessica Sunshine Richman with multiple crimes including conspiracy to commit securities fraud, conspiracy to commit health care fraud, money laundering, in connection with alleged schemes to defraud health insurance providers and investors. According to the indictment, Apte and Richman, both of whom resided in San Francisco at the time, co-founded a company called Ubiome in October 2012. Initially, Ubiome offered a direct-to-consumer service called Gut Explorer, 
which allowed an individual to submit a fecal sample that Ubiome would analyze in its laboratory and produce a report comparing the customer's microbiome to the microbiomes of others. The defendants eventually expanded Ubiome's business model to include development and marketing of clinical tests, which would ostensibly be used by medical professionals to make medical decisions and as to which Ubiome would seek reimbursement from health insurance providers in amounts up to nearly $3,000. Thereafter, the indictment alleges that Apti and Richmond caused Ubiome to employ various methods to secure healthcare providers' orders for its tests, including building a network of healthcare providers external to the company. The defendants ultimately adopted several fraudulent practices with respect to its clinical tests. The defendants falsified documents and lied about concealed material facts when insurance providers asked questions. Between 2015 and 2019, Ubiome submitted more than $300 million in reimbursement claims to private and public health insurers. 55-year-old Donald Sayo, M.D., who lives in San Jose, faces federal charges that he illegally distributed hydrocodone and oxycodone pills in his medical practice and committed health care fraud. A prescription monitoring system identified the doctor was a high prescriber, exemplified by a recent year when Dr. Sayo wrote more than 8,000 prescriptions for controlled substances, including large quantities of hydrocodone and oxycodone and many instances of the dangerous combination of opioid, muscle relaxant, and benzodiazepine, which is known in the drug world as the Holy Trinity. Undercover law enforcement agents posed as new patients and met with Sio at his medical practice. During initial visits, the agents complained of pain in vague or general terms, and Dr. Sayo conducted little or no physical examinations. The initial and subsequent visits usually lasted about two minutes. Nonetheless, in initial visits, Dr. Sayo prescribed hydrocodone or oxycodone and then follow-up appointments. Sayo continued to prescribe the same medicine and increased the amounts. In subsequent visits, as short as two minutes and ten seconds, the undercover agent requested larger prescriptions for reasons that included he had given away pills to his employees as work incentives and that he had run out of pills when he went to a concert. So Dr. Sayo increased the size of the prescriptions for that agent, eventually writing a prescription for 90 Norco pills at his last visit. And in another example, an undercover agent requested and received a larger prescription of Norco so he could, quote, pay back his friends with the pills. The complaint also charges Dr. Sayo with health care fraud and alleges that he wrote alprazolam and oxycodone prescriptions for a patient without any legitimate medical purpose. The wave of COVID-19 claims that hit the California workers' compensation system at the end of 2020 has subsided for the time being, as the number of claims reported for February fell to the lowest level in a year. The CWCI report shows the projected ultimate claim count for February came in at 4,533 cases, 
and this is down nearly 90% from the record 43,000 claims projected for December. The data from CWCI's COVID-19 interactive application show that after surging to an all-time high last December, the monthly COVID-19 claim count fell by more than 50% in January, a decrease that coincided with the steep drop in new coronavirus cases in the state. The addition of the February data pushed the number of virus claims reported since the pandemic began to more than 135,000 claims, including 751 death claims. The latest results are from the March 11 update to the uh, CWCI Interactive Claim app, which includes COVID-19 data dating back to January 2020, as well as from the most recent 12 months, and it is available to the public. The DWC has posted an order adjusting the hospital outpatient departments and ambulatory surgical centers section of the official medical fee schedule to conform to changes in the Medicare payment system. The order adopting the OMFS adjustments is effective for services rendered on or after April 1, 2020, and it is posted on the DWC website. The DWC has also posted proposed changes to the Disability Evaluation Unit regulations to its online forum. Members of the public may review and comment on the proposal, and comments will be accepted on the forum until the end of business on April 7, 2021. The proposed changes update commutation tables and delete references to services no longer provided by the DEU and updating two forms used for requesting consultative ratings and reconsideration of summary ratings. The Labor Code provides for the determination and payment of permanent disability benefits and mandates life pensions for certain cases. Injured workers are allowed to petition the WCAB for a commutation of future weekly permanent disability and life pension benefits in order to receive a lump sum amount. Their proposed changes update the commutation tables to reflect updated life tables, which offer a more accurate present value of current lifetime benefits. As life expectancy has increased, it is estimated that this update will provide a general 5% increase of commutations for life pensions and permanent total disability. The DEU will continue to provide formal rating determinations, summary rating determinations, and consultative rating determinations, but will no longer provide informal rating determinations. The new proposed forms are the summary rating by the Administrative Director, which is DWC AD Form 103, and the request for consultative rating, DWC AD Form 104 DEU. The form can be found online in the DWC Forums page under Current Forums. Grocery employees in dozens of cities from San Francisco to Santa Ana have successfully lobbied their council members to pass ordinances requiring employers to temporarily give hazard or hero pay, typically $3 to $5 an hour. Both proponents and opponents of the hazard pay movement expect more cities to adopt this policy. 
Similar ordinances may soon come up to a vote in cities from Fresno to Pasadena. Labor leaders say the movement is growing, covering more workers affected by the pandemic. Coachella has already passed an ordinance giving hazard pay to farm workers, the first in the nation to do so. Long Beach was the first to pass an ordinance giving workers at large grocery stores an extra $4 per hour for at least 120 days. In response, the California Grocers Association filed a federal lawsuit saying such ordinances are unconstitutional and Kroger closed two grocery stores in the city of Long Beach. Although Sacramento has been the site of protests calling for higher wages and better safety conditions for workers, neither the County Board of Supervisors nor City Council have proposed hazard pay ordinances. But the policy has spread to nearly a dozen cities in Southern California and several more in Northern. Coachella in February approved hero pay for farm workers and workers at grocery stores, pharmacy stores, and restaurants. Only those who employ 300 or more workers nationally and more than five employees in the city would need to provide hazard pay. The SEIU Local Union, which represents 400,000 long-term caregivers, is also calling for hazard pay, calling on local officials to improve working conditions for the union's members. And in other news, despite the slowdown of new workers' compensation uh, COVID-19 cases, COVID-19 infections are once again on the rise across more than half of the United States. As of March 21, the seven-day average of new cases rose by 5% or more in 27 states, according to data compiled by Johns Hopkins University. Across the U.S., the nation logged an average of more than 54,000 new cases per day over the past week. That's a 1% rise from the prior week, after months of rapidly declining case numbers. Even as the U.S. picks up the pace of vaccinations, giving about 2.5 million shots every day, some health officials have warned the country remains in a precarious spot. The lifting of restrictions in many states and the spread of more contagious variants in the U.S. threaten to undo the nation's progress. Daily new deaths continue to fall, likely helped by the prioritization for vaccination of the elderly and those with comorbid conditions who are most likely to die of COVID-19. About 69% of those age 65 and older have received at least one shot of a vaccine, according to the CDC. In total, more than 124.4 million doses have been administered, but most of those are for two-dose vaccinations. As optimism around the steady rise in vaccination picks up, many states have begun to ease restrictions on businesses and gatherings, despite warnings from the CDC not to do so. The White House chief medical advisor urged states to not declare victory prematurely. According to the urgency of the need to get people vaccinated quickly is looming threat of the new patients, which appear to have already caused severe surges across most of Europe and other parts of the world. The CDC has projected that the more contagious and potentially more deadly B117 variant 
which was discovered in the United Kingdom, could become the dominant strain in the U.S. by the end of the month. Some health officials have said that the B117 variant could be what's behind some particularly worrying surges seen in various states, including Michigan, where cases have risen dramatically in recent days. According to data from Johns Hopkins, Michigan is reporting an average of almost 3,000 new cases a day, up by about 50% from a week ago. And that is all of our news and our events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, past editions of our news, and much, much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and special reports using your iPhone, iPad, or Android device by searching for the WorkComp Academy with your podcast software. And we also publish our daily news podcast and other utilities on our free WorkCompApps.com smartphone app. Again, I'm Renee Foles with Floyd, Scarron, Minuki, and Langeman. Thanks for joining us today. Please drop by again next week for more news.